Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of the WorkLife podcast. This is your host, Agnes Uheretsky, and it's another great pleasure for me to um, be sitting here in front of the microphone and recording another podcast with another researcher uh, whom I met through the Work and Family Researchers Network. And this time my guest is Patricia Dam. Hi, Patricia. Hi, Agnes. So Patricia gave a fantastic uh, presentation of her research on trade-offs in Washington, D.C. at the WFRN conference um, just before the summer, now in 2016. And I took the opportunity to invite her on the podcast to discuss this because I think this is a really important and exciting topic. And maybe just a few words to introduce you, uh, Patricia. She's an assistant professor of management at the Orfalea College of Business at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And um, what really surprised me from your bio, that before uh, your uh, PhD and your career in academia, you uh, had a degree in mechanical engineering. And so, Patty, would you mind telling listeners a little bit about your career and your research interest and how did you make this um, leap and and how did you develop your interest in work-life integration and workplace and behavior and and management? Absolutely. Yeah, so some people are surprised to hear that I did start my career as a mechanical engineer. So I've been always been interested in understanding more about how how things work. Um, but as I began my career as an engineer, I realized that I was a lot more interested in understanding how people work and why people do what they do and what they think and how that affects their career outcomes um, in, instead of studying things in mechanics. So I do also think that my research interests did begin um, in my career as an engineer because I became very interested in gender differences in workplace outcomes because my gender became fairly salient um, where I worked in a manufacturing environment where I was one of the few females. Um, However, so as my career progressed, I, I paid a lot of attention to people and what they were doing and ultimately went back to school to get my PhD at the University of Minnesota to to uh, study organizational behavior. 
Um, I can tell you that um, my broader research interests in work-life integration specifically um, really did start with a very specific conversation that I had with a boss after I had my first baby. So I was working in a job share situation where I worked um, three days a week and shared a job with uh, another individual who also worked three days a week. And it worked very well. And I expressed an interest um, in still having my career progress um, and career advancement. And I remember um, quite clearly that my boss at the time said to me that I needed to be really careful or else people would think that I was trying to have it all. Hmm. And, and that statement just struck me um, in so many ways because first, I, I didn't expect her to say that. Um, and for a couple of reasons. One, I don't think it had yet occurred to me um, that I was going to have to make decisions and what the ram and that those decisions would probably have some sort of ramifications in my life. Um, and also that people, other people were paying attention to the decisions that I made. And so um, I really have been fueled um, ever since that conversation to try to figure out, you know, what are, what kind of decisions do people make and what are the broader implications um, in their lives? Because certainly what we do um, has consequences. Absolutely. And, and I think this is so fascinating. And, and, and thank you very much for, for sharing this, this with the listeners, because um, this really nicely takes us to the main topic of our conversation today, which is people's decisions um, between their work and their life spheres and how these decisions then impact on, on one or the other sphere and, and what motivates them maybe to take these, these decisions. And, and you actually also started that presentation with, the, with this myth of having it all right. <laughs> and these, you know, this pressure and really unrealistically high standards on on both men and women, actually, this is a, mm -hmm, actually mm -hmm. a regular topic that comes up in, in the work life mm -hmm. podcast. Um, so, and also, I mean, we could branch out from here because so many, um, you know, when, when we look at other people and, and we think, gosh, she has seven kids and she's the, you know, the, the defense minister of Germany, what kind of decisions did she take? <laughs> that right. right. Her... So we question ourselves through looking at decisions of others, right, mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, maybe coming to this issue of trade-offs, you know, when we go to conferences and go to panels, and often actually this comes up in relation to the glass ceiling, actually, mm -hmm. of why mm -hmm. women stop at a certain level uh, mm -hmm. of their career progression. And, and that's when actually the public discourse trade-offs come up. But but you analyze it in a much broader sense. So maybe if you could start off with the, the definition of, of the trade-offs and, and then you have also categorized them. Yes. So uh, trade-offs are sacrifices that people make and they're specifically decisions um, that people make to either fulfill better their work role or their family and personal life roles. And sometimes when we make those decisions to better fulfill one or the other role, the, the alternative role um, is sacrificed in some way. That is how we're defining trade-offs. That's how um, economists de define um, trade-offs as well in a broader context. So we're looking at both major and minor trade-offs. And so the way that we're defining major trade-offs 
is really those larger decisions that are more permanent and have more long-lasting effects, like perhaps choosing to completely exit the workforce or on the flip side, choosing not to have children mm-hmm. to, um, to support a career. And in terms of minor trade-offs, these are decisions that are made on a more frequent, even daily basis. They're smaller and more temporary and should have um, less um, se- severe outcomes in terms of more long-lasting effects. And so for this would be sort of just choosing on, on a daily basis, oh, am I going to leave work early today? Am I going to adjust my work hours today? Um, am I going to, on the flip side, miss um, a family commitment um, in order to complete something that supports my um, work role and identity? Um, listening to you, just this question popped up. Do you think that mm-hmm. all or the majority of these minor trade-offs or decisions mm-hmm. are conscious or do we just go along Mm, and then we may have regrets afterwards and look back and think oh gosh I traded this for that and I that is an outstanding question I I think in general we know that um, most of the things that we do in our lives um, are actually not well contemplated and especially this minor so our behaviors we're not always aware of the decisions that we're making throughout the day and we're certainly not aware of the consequences and so that's part of the reason why I wanted to study it is to see because you know quite frankly I don't know you know it's not it's it wasn't clear to me before and more more needs to be done um, what are the long-term and short-term effects of making certain decisions and I'm a must, as much interested in that um, um, with respect to my own life as I am and for everyone else um, because the more information that everybody has about the short and long-term effects, perhaps they can become more conscious um, decisions. Absolutely. And, and, and I mean, one of the things that really struck me um, in, in your research, in your presentation was the um, frequency of working mothers trading sleep Mm. for either work you know this Mm -hmm. kind of famous second shift or Mm -hmm. sleep for waking up earlier to spend time with children or making uh, lunch boxes whatever and and I mean that that is something that can have really serious long-term health implications and 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 even performance implications Mm -hmm. yeah so I think people are in general more likely to trade off um, things with to do with their personal life self-care I'm as the in comparison with their families, right? So our identities are really wrapped largely around um, uh, our work and our family roles and ourselves ourselves are what gets sacrificed. And it is true though, because we don't understand the long-term effects of failing to exercise, failing to get good sleep. Um, We can probably get through the next day, we can probably get through the next week, but in the long run, is that really going to serve us well in in either of our important work or family identities? Probably not. You know, I also have come in, in, you know, through producing this podcast, through this, um, through these conversations, what really crystallized for me this year, and I actually was so lucky and fortunate because I could um, validate this, this, my, my idea with Lotte Bailey, whom we really admire, and she concurred, she concurred. So, you know, this, this, this culture of busyness of you know almost like bragging about you know i'm i'm so busy that i haven't slept or or mm-hmm. i'm so busy that i couldn't do this and you know for me this mm-hmm. really is something where society um 
has to associate success with trade-offs. If you haven't made those kind of sacrifices, mm-hmm. then, well, you haven't worked hard mm-hmm. enough or you don't deserve it. So we have to almost justify our success. It, it shouldn't look like it came easy to you and you got a lot of sleep and you could go to the gym and everything. So do mm. you do you see also that there is this kind of mm. a bit of this societal expectations of these trade-offs or pressures to, to sacrifices? I absolutely do think that. And I think that uh, that's part of the reason why we're getting um, kind of this push around mindfulness. And you hear a lot about mm. that lately and it's becoming very popular both in organizations and also from a research perspective is like let's pay attention to what we're doing um let's become more conscious of the decisions we're making and then be truly present because i think part of the the busyness um means that we're not actually even present in uh what we're doing um after we've made that decision um i think societal norms um although it is evolving um, are still gendered to a certain expect, um, a certain extent too. And um, from the point of view that um, when men in particular are making a lot of sacrifices for their personal and family lives for work, I think that that's something that society is still um, rewarding. And in ter- on the flip side, I think um, women are are often rewarded for making sacrifices in the other direction in support of their yeah. their families. And that's just something that has evolved over time. It's um, it's very sticky. Um, the interesting thing is that a lot of times our own identities are not the exact same. They don't align perfectly with society. And so that's where the conflict comes and people have to pay attention um, to their own identities when making these types of decisions. Um, but with the, with the, I guess, knowledge and consciousness that um, people, other people are still going to have an opinion of what you do and, and you've got to live with that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So uh, you, you cannot make the right choice for the others, right? You have to make the right decisions for you. Exactly. And, and that's quite difficult. That's quite difficult. Right. Especially if you work in a very formal work environment where certain trade-offs are kind of built in to the working hours, the long working hours or mm-hmm. the business trips, etc., where mm-hmm. you just cannot just opt out because you would like to do something else. Right. That's exactly right. And I think that um, when people are choosing careers, they often probably don't take that into account. And until things change from an organizational level, we are, again, stuck with that. And so uh, the career that you choose the, and the work that you choose is going to have a big impact on yeah, the trade-offs that you, that, that you have the latitude to make um, within those boundaries um, without switching organizations or sometimes even career. Yeah, and or or the freelancing, the contingent right. uh, workforce where people just say, okay, um, I prefer to do maybe a lower quality job, but from home. Right. If I'm a carer, or if I'm a parent, or if I yes. Mm-hmm. So um, you you mentioned this yourself um, that you know you had this conversation and and you had this um, consciousness uh, when you became a parent. And, you know, me too, I have two kids, so I know the before kids BC and after <laughs> kids is a total different story. Right. Um, and so in, in your research, you also looked at differences between trade-offs of pa- working parents and, mm-hmm. and trade-offs of, of people with careers who are not parents, right? Yes, yes, I did. And I did, in fact, find that overall parents did make more uh, major and minor 
work trade-offs and women made more major work trade-offs as well. Um, and on the flip side, men did make more minor personal life trade-offs. So I did find some differences along those demographic lines. For the benefit of the listeners, would you just give maybe a couple of examples of when you say work trade-off, what, what domain is that? And when you say life trade-off, what, what does that refer to? So work trade-off is any time that you are sacrificing at work. So an example of a major work compromising trade-off would be to say that um, you are not going to, you're going to refuse um, an offer for promotion, um, refuse an offer for relocation um, for the sake of your family. Those would be two um, examples of major trade-offs. Um, mm -hmm. Major life trade-offs en encompasses those times that you may trade off or sacrifice in your family role. And so deciding to have fewer children or not to have children at all would be examples of those trade-offs. Um, in terms of minor trade-offs, work compromising trade-offs would be things like um, limiting your networking or um, choosing or refusing um, business travel, as we talked about before. Um, personal life trade-offs are things that you'd make more frequently. Um, so being an unable limiting sleep is something we talked about earlier um, or spending less time on food preparation was actually one of the most um, highly reported um, personal life trade-offs yeah mm -hmm. yeah we I'm just thinking the number of times I'm making fish fingers <laughs> right in right and so you know in the long run you know it, it does it does get the job done though I will tell you that yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah but these are the kind of things of where we have contradicting, you know, pressures or evidence, mm -hmm. uh, even policymakers, because we know that, you know, um, this is the same case for paid leave. We know that breastfeeding for six months is the kind of the most beneficial to your baby, mm -hmm. yet we have, and you, especially in the U.S., a very short yes. leave. Then we know that home prepared locally sourced uh, home cooked meals are really prolonging everybody's health reducing the cancer chances and yet we make fish fingers and um, <laughs> chicken nuggets so <laughs> so so this is i think the kind of you know reasons why it would it i find your research focus so fascinating and so crucial because it's it almost boils down to little life hacks, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. On a day-to-day mm -hmm. -day basis or, or small adjustments mm -hmm. that in the long term mm -hmm. will have a huge, can have really huge uh, impacts, both mm -hmm. positive and negative. Right, exactly. I like the way you're thinking about that. And that would be such a great future study is to think about um, some kind of life hacks or interventions that really can help people become more mindful and aware of these trade-offs and um, make better choices. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and, and I think this whole mindfulness, um, you know, and, and, and time management, somehow I feel that uh, it's kind of building up the skills that we need to live in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. And, 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 for some reason or other, I've been um, having a look at a couple of um, 
health coaches mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. and and what i have seen more and more pop up on their um, social media etc is food prepping mm. so you mm-hmm. know as a, as a way of before before dieting or or weight loss was around what you eat mm-hmm. and now more and more are adjusting to our busy life so mm-hmm. they say okay you cannot l- just leave it to chance you need to prep your whole week's meals mm. on the Sunday. Mm-hmm. And that actually became quite a, an important aspect of mm-hmm. being a good health coach or, or food coach, mm. how you can get your clients to organize it. And, and I think this is something that really struck me. It's like, yeah, this makes sense. Mm-hmm. This makes totally sense. And, and I'm just thinking of, mm. of all these little adjustments or life hacks, you know, that we can do to have to be now, for example, in workspace design, mm. office design, you know, sit, uh, standing desks, um, mm-hmm. sitting on balls, mm-hmm. um, more walking meetings. So mm-hmm. I think that there's this kind of awakening to the, maybe even to the possible long-term implications of these lifestyle mm-hmm. trade-offs and then how can we cope with them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so then becomes uh, less of an either-or trade-off and more of an and um, and, yeah. and how can we really accommodate? Because, you know, as long as work and family and our health are all important to us, like, we are loath to sacrifice um, any one. Absolutely. Now, have you in your work seen some some good examples maybe of, of companies uh, or employers that have addressed these or or what could some empl- what could employers do, you know, to first of all, I guess, to become conscious that this is happening because we don't really go to work and start talking about sleep right we don't say i didn't sleep again or, or you know somehow these are, are are still quite private issues but but what could employers do to to address this issue so i do think that there has been a larger awareness on the part of organizations with respect to health um, and the importance there i still think we have a little ways to go with accommodating family. And so the personal, the trade-off aspect um, when it comes to our personal lives has both of those aspects, right? Um, caring for ourselves and also caring for our families. And I know um, there have been some efforts in some companies recently in the United States that are offering parental leave um, up to a year and also for fathers. I think that that's one of the most important things that people can, that organizations can do is to extend that leave. I know sometimes they feel like they're doing a good thing by extending it for mothers, and I do think that's a good thing. But I also believe, I mean, as we're talking in the evolving life roles and um, societal norms and dual careers, it's so important to extend that leave to fathers as well. And I think in the long run, it will be beneficial um, for both um, men's careers and their relationships with their families um, and women's careers, their relationship with their families um, and ultimately the well-being of the children. Um, On a daily basis, I do think um, it really has to be a cultural shift um, on a couple of levels. Um, One, it would be great um, if flexibility just became the norm. It's not something where anytime you make it a special policy and people have to ask for flexibility, there's the possibility of having a stigma around it. Um, why, do you, why do you need that? But once it becomes just, and I think, I think with the separation of and the disconnect between um, location and work that's going to evolve, um, because with kind of the mobile workforce, I think that will help us to understand that work can be done in different places at different times. It doesn't all have to be eight to five in the same building. 
Um, because really in the long run, what we found is these more minor personal life trade-offs were the ones that were the most consequential um, in terms of uh, your well-being personally, your life satisfaction, but also with this, your satisfaction with work. So it's funny because so if your work is causing you to make these, these sacrifices um, with respect to time with your family, with respect to preparing meals for yourself and your family, then people become less satisfied with work as well. So it's to the benefit of employers as well as their, the individuals they employ if they can kind of make culturally acceptable um, flexibility in terms of time and space so that people can leave in the middle of the day for an hour to accommodate, do something, go to their kids' tennis match, go to the dentist, that kind of thing, um, even exercise. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Now, before um, we come to the last mm -hmm. question, may I just ask you to uh, perhaps share with mm -hmm. listeners your, your, your the website or, or where they can find more information, where they can find your publications and, and, and perhaps also reach mm -hmm. out to you? Mm -hmm. So you can reach out to me uh, directly um, through email, which is uh, pdahm at calpoly.edu. And that will probably be the best way um, to, um, to contact me. Great. And we will, of course, put also your contact details and the link to the, to the research also on, on the website, uh, on, on our website next to the um, okay, podcast. Now, now, coming to the, to the last question, which is always mm -hmm, the same last mm -hmm. question here on the Work Life mm -hmm. Podcast. So if I could ask you to give just mm -hmm. one advice to a CEO, to, to make a difference in the well-being mm -hmm. of his or her mm -hmm. employees, uh, what would be your advice? So my advice is actually a mindset. And it is to understand that when you observe um, commitment um, to the family role, either in terms of, either for men or women, if they are committed to that role and they want to serve their families well, that is a good sign. That is a good signal um, around the type of person that is, because what we see is that people that are committed to their families are also committed to their work. Um, and so um, accommodating and understanding the good things that come with having involvement with your family in terms of building positive energy, a positive affect, and um, a sense of belongingness and connectedness um, is something that benefits employees uh, rather than detracts from their productivity. <laughs> I love that. I think you have put it so brilliantly, really brilliantly. And, 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 and it's time to finish this counter intuitive, uh, approach that if you care about your family, um, you're not a good right. worker, you know, this perfect worker exactly. mode of no commitments, nothing going out outside your cubicle. <laughs> and... It's not realistic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and if you, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more and I couldn't share more your, your, your philosophy mm -hmm. on this. So um, I just wanted to, again, thank you, Patty, for coming on the, on the podcast. It was such an interesting conversation and I just wish you all, all the very best with, with, the, with the future of this research and more investigation. Thank you. This. And thank you for your good work in this area as well.